Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hi and welcome to The Backstory with Claire. And Susie. In each episode, we'll be hearing about an experience that has happened to someone that shaped who they are. 30 minutes that remind us that everyone's dealing with something. So we're a documentary podcast, a docupod. Except you made that word up. So Claire, here we are with this week's backstory and it sounds like a really interesting and different one. Yes, it is. This is the story of Ali Bendigani, um, who is an immigration barrister. I think if he was in an American movie, we would call him a human rights lawyer. Oh, nice. Because essentially he defends immigrants against deportation and that kind of thing. Um, His job is fascinating, but this is his backstory about how you get from growing up in a family with no money in small town Wales with a Welsh mum and an Iranian dad who was studying law but was mostly unwell, I think, so didn't actually practice it much. Okay. And four other siblings to being a shit-hot barrister in London. So it's all about social mobility in action. Here we are. The way that we sort of find this works very well is to sort of look back and sort of imagine that line, like, going back from your life and there's those peaks and those troughs. And I just wanted wondered what peak or trough you wanted to tell me about today I think there's there's definitely a narrative there um, which I think about quite a lot uh, which is how I moved really from growing up uh, on free school meals um, hiding that because I was ashamed of it living in council uh, accommodation um, and with with the threat of eviction right Um, Having no money, never going on holiday, never going to a restaurant until I was in my late teens, uh, having no books on the shelf. <clears throat> and it wasn't bad. I right. mean, you know, you don't know, you don't know what you don't have when you don't have it. Um, but to move from that to, you know, walking around Lincoln's in fields and going to the high court and all this stuff, I mean... Sometimes I do think, like, what, what am I doing here? It doesn't make any sense. So what was at the heart of that change? Like, can you pinpoint what gave you the ambition, what, like, drove you? Yeah, I think it was that... Um, it was, I think it was the strength of the, rela- I had, the relationship I had and still have, um, but 
especially the relationship I had when I was young with my dad. So he, he was studying law, and he inspired me because of the way he conducted himself, really, and the, and the, and the values that he hold, held um, dearly and which he lived out every day. So the way he treated people was with respect, treat them fairly, and to understand other people and where they're coming from. And um, also to just do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Uh, and that was impressed on me, I think, without realising it from quite a young age. And so one instance, um, uh, he judicially reviewed the local education authority to get me into the good comprehensive school as opposed to the bad one. And if you went to the bad one, you'd sort of definitely end up um, without A-levels and probably with a pretty decent criminal record. And if you go to the good comprehensive school, you'll definitely do your GCSEs. You might do your A-levels. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you, won't, you won't get in trouble with the police, basically. That was the kind of distinction. So um, he, I didn't get into the good one because of some arbitrary rule. My dad challenged that, basically, in the courts. And the local education authority had to change their mind. And then a group of my friend's parents came round to the house and they asked my dad to help them to do the same thing for their children that he did for me. Mm. And I remember I was to leave, I, was, I tried to leave the room and my dad told me to stay and watch. So I watched what was going on and basically they wanted to give him envelopes full of money and they didn't quite know how to deal with my dad because he's from Iran and he has this sort of, you know, he's not Welsh and he's, you know, not English, and he has a funny accent, and uh, he's his own man, right? So um, nothing like them. And they asked him to help, uh, which, of course, he did. Um, so, but he wouldn't take the money when I couldn't believe it, you know, because I thought, that's, that's more money than I've ever seen, um, he could have really done with that at the moment oh, at the time. Yeah, yeah, big style. But he refused to take it. And then he did this funny little thing where he said, in my culture, we take one pound from each of you. It's a cultural thing. And he took a pound off all of them. And then he turned to me. Oh, they all left and they said thank you. And then afterwards he turned to me. And I said, what's this thing about your culture? He said, look, I just made it up. I made it up. But anyway, here's some money. And he gave me the money. So did he just do it to make them feel a bit better about... Like, yeah, and to sort of play with them a little bit, you know, right. because I think they expected, you know, he was playing on their expectations of something, and I think he found that funny. Right. Um, and he killed two birds with one stone because he got to give me my pocket money without having, to, it, having it to come from his own pocket. Yeah. But that that... That left a deep impression on me because it, it made me understand um, very keenly uh, that you can do something which is good to help people. And it's natural when it is a reflection of who you are and how you live. So that was a pretty fundamental thing. And then one of the things that I'll never forget uh, is... When we lived in Aberystwyth, and my dad was still not, and he still isn't, as I, th I think, I don't think he's e even British. I think he's still got his Iranian passport. But in Aberystwyth, he had to go and report to the police station. And he took me with him. And uh, 
I remember him going into the police station looking one way and coming out of the police station looking quite different. And I remember understanding instinctively that something not very good had happened. Um, his demeanour was different. Mm. Um, and I think he'd been sort of mistreated in some way. Oh, really? I suspect. You don't know? I suspect, no. Because there's a, there's a, there is a sort of cultural thing where you, you don't ask. So you got your A-levels and then, like, was it always an expectation that you would go to university? I don't think it was an... I think it was an expectation, actually. Yeah, it was an expectation. Um, so I went to university, studied law, hated it. Where did you go? Cardiff. I went to Cardiff, which is where I was living at the time, because I couldn't afford to go anywhere else. Had to, had to do the bar course quite soon after my law degree. So I went to London and studied there, got into a, more debt because the course cost thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds. So I had to borrow for that. And then, you know, you, that's when you're supposed to apply for a trainee position as a barrister, what's called a pupil, um, you, um, pupillage, and you become a pupil. But I couldn't afford to do that, so I had to work for several years, A, to pay that money back, and B, to survive, and then also give a little bit of money back to the family. So what were you working as at that point? I worked in a law centre in East London, a place called the Refugee Legal Centre. Right. Um, working, helping refugees. And it's there that I was able to advocate on behalf of refugees and learn about uh, the different countries and all the rest of it. Like looking back on it all, going back to that time when you were a teenager, was there times there where it could have gone down a different road? Luckily, I'm not sure how it really came about. I think it was basically because of my dad's influence. It's I didn't want to let him down, actually. And he was... And also because he, um, he'd been through so much. And so had my mum, actually, because my mum... Um, comes from a large family in Wales, very poor, um, didn't receive much education growing up. Uh, her, both her parents are dead. Um, no money, no inheritance or property or anything like that. And my father similarly came from a pretty bad place in Iran. Um, so there was an obligation, I think. I felt an obligation to do something and move beyond that where they had got to, and, and that had always been kind of instilled in me that that was going to happen, that I had to do it. Um, so I think that kind of propelled, that propelled me. That was the, the momentum that had been there and moving in me all through growing up, and it just carried me over. I think that's probably the best way to explain it. And has that happened for all your brothers and sisters, or...? No. No, they're all... I, I think, out of the five of us, I think I'm the only one who's got A-levels, and only one other has GCSEs. Wow. Yeah. So, what was the difference for you? I don't know. Maybe I had the benefit of more time and attention from my parents as the eldest. That's a thing, isn't it, maybe? Mm. 
I think with more people come more problems. And so perhaps there was just too much going on. So you just got a bit more attention that was maybe vital at a very important time. I I think maybe that's right, yeah. Because, I mean, there's obviously like a few sort of moments in your childhood that sort of formed a kind of... um, understanding as to what you wanted to do later in a way yeah, like yeah. or they they were like integral to like little experiences that yeah. kind of peak out for you yeah um and like you haven't talked about your mum very much did she no. not influence you particularly or like my mum was um n- no I think my mum was incredibly loving and caring and did everything she could to to raise us and to um take care of us um, but I didn't have the same relationship with her. Mum was mum. But um, certainly my value system and my the, the, what I aspired to came from my relationship with my father, mm. definitely. Uh, I had a, a boyfriend who... Um, came from a very different background like mm. and he did exceptionally well in a similar mm. way to you and that he sort of moved from you know moved from his his like sort of socioeconomic mm. kind of situation to a completely different one and i i found like books where he'd written like um kind of uh, new words like to improve like his mm. vocabulary and mm. like you know he'd like he consciously like learnt wines. He like he really right, right. kind of you know. He, I think he was at Oxford and yeah. like. So I just wonder whether like you found yourself doing a similar kind of thing. Like, um, did you did you have to like you said you hadn't really eaten out until you were like in your teenage years, like yeah. late teens. Like, how did you kind of fit in like in that move sort of thing? I didn't. I and I still don't. You know, there's part of me that doesn't fit in at all, and I quite like that. Um, because it means I fit in elsewhere with other people. Um, but I was very lucky. I went out with a girl when I was 14, and she was very... How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. ...well off, and her father, I think, was an architect or an interior designer or something, and she's from a fantastic family, and, and, the, and her two older brothers were sort of... Um, graphic designers and architects and it was very arty, very cultured and we were together um, for a few years and through that family I learnt that people drink wine when they have dinner and uh, that the bowl of water with the lemon in, uh, in the Chinese is not something uh, to drink, it's something to put, wash your hands in, right? Right. And um, learnt about art and design and things like that. So that opened up a whole new world, really, right. which I'm very grateful for. Um, but no, I didn't consciously go about learning how to be middle class. That's just something that happens if you hang around with lots of middle class people, I think. And has your dad, like, expressed to you, like, his kind of pride in what you've achieved? Or? Um, once, when I, when I got... You do a pupillage for a year, and then... So there's, like, 800 people apply. There are six places. If you get in, you get your pupillage. You do that for a year, and then they decide whether to take you on at the end. So it's a year-long interview and training. It's like apprenticeship. Um, when I told him I got taken on, he said he was very proud. But apart from that, you know, his attitude is, well, you got everything. Why wouldn't you? Don't write a story about it. Get on with it. What's next? That's his attitude, which is a good one. And uh, you need that. You need that to have that as part of you, I think, um, to get on with it. Um, and so, like, do you think you're going to have a similar, like, relationship with your son? I, I would be very happy if he... He's very creative, actually, so he loves making stuff and drawing, and he's very good, um, and he likes building. So if he was to become an engineer, I think the most important thing is um, that he's happy. And I think that's the big difference in the difference in the generational shift from my mum and my dad where they came from to where I am and my attitude I have the privilege and the luck the good luck to be able to say to my son do whatever you want whereas I think for them it was look we can't help you you've got to go for it so Susie what did you make of that do you know, I'm really interested in social mobility and actually it's, it's good to hear kind of a personal account of that and to find out about the influences for that. You know, I thought Ali was really good at defining what had made that difference for him, you know, and, and obviously put it down to his father mainly. But I think maybe he also underplayed his own character and, you know, his aptitude and, you know, obviously um, he's 
respecting his dad and, and wanting to please his parents. But, you know, there was, he's clearly got something about him that made him push forward. Yeah. And obviously his dad, like taking the local authority to task for the school that he went to, that was a game changer. Yeah, definitely. As it, I think if he'd gone to the other school, he wouldn't have had like half the opportunities. Which um, is dreadful, isn't it? I know. I know that's shocking, shocking in itself. And he took risks. Um, yes, he did. Yeah. He took on debt, which was brave. And definitely puts off many young people who are from poorer backgrounds and like kind of looking to go to university. Yeah. Do you know, I also found it very telling that he was the only one of his siblings who made it to university. And I think, you know, between the others, they got kind of a smattering of qualifications. But Ali was definitely the one that that, you know, made a success academically. Yeah, by a long way. Yeah. So I um, went away and had a little look into this because I find it very interesting and looked into whether... Being the firstborn makes you more successful. And it does look as though there is an edge to being the firstborn. Oh, so she's been doing her I have, work. I have. Look, and I have um, the paperwork to prove it. Oh, so, oh, oh. so what I found out is that it's it's kind of something to do with that undivided attention. I mean, it's not rocket science, is it? It's that undivided attention that firstborns receive from their parents. You know, I can think back myself to when my children were little. You know, with my firstborn, I had more time to read and to play with them. And I think that's kind of borne out by, you know, the higher tests, the higher kind of scores that firstborns get in cognitive tests by the time they're one. Mm. Um, there was a big decade-long study of 5,000 children, um, which found that, that that kind of early boost in life is likely to sort of translate into, you know, more time spent in education and then subsequently higher salaries later in life. Wow. So, you know, and I guess you can see, can't you, as the household gets bigger, then parents have to kind of split their time with younger children. So... So they miss out on the advantage of being an only child for a time. And, you know, obviously it doesn't mean that firstborns get more love, but they definitely get more attention, you know, in those important formative years. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I, like with my own children, I sort of thought, yeah, well, the older one has got all the attention that I gave yeah. him for the first three years. And then the second one has got like, half the attention probably but also like tons of attention from the sibling and like so you sort of think it's sort of been made up don't you like by the other sort of factors but maybe it hasn't yeah I think it's a very different experience and I think that you know children can be brought up in the same family by the same parents and have a very different experience yeah. of, of family life um, also kind of looking at people in positions of power, you know, if you look at the number of firstborns, I think most American presidents, uh, the majority of the science Nobel laureates, and this one's a good one, actually, 21 out of the first 23 NASA astronauts have been found to be the eldest children. Wow. And in girls, that eldest child effect is particularly pronounced in politics. So kind of thinking internationally, Angela Merkel, Nicola Sturgeon, Hillary Clinton, Theresa May, they're all either the eldest child or their only children. Wow. And I speak as the youngest of three. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was also fascinated by Ali's voice. Um, he obviously doesn't sound like he's coming from a poor background. No, that's right. He kind of, he sounds very middle class, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, and he's exceptionally English. Like, yeah. Um, and well spoken. So th yeah, this got me thinking about language and where it gets you really. Um, and it turns out 
I did a bit of homework too. Oh, okay. And there's a direct correlation between children's language development and their life chances. Right. Um, so, yeah, we all know language is a fundamental life skill for children and it directly impacts on their ability to learn so and to develop friendships and on their life chances. Okay. So the most important factor in reaching the expected levels in English and maths at age seven is children's language skills when they're five. And this is even greater than the link of poverty or parental education. So, um, like looking at sort of social mobility within that, we know that by the age of five, 75% of children who experience poverty persistently throughout the early years are below the average in language development, compared with 35% of those who didn't experience poverty. So it's quite marked. So, you know, do you think Ali has always had those exceptional language skills? I, wa- I, I wonder whether, you know, he had them from... I know, I'm really intrigued about that, or whether he's kind of picked up on those in the need to fit in now, you yeah. know, because he has got a very sort of barrister voice. <laughs> there is one. <laughs> anyway, um, also interesting was the jo- choice of job for Ali, I found. Like, going into immigration, he said that being half Iranian, he always feels a bit different, and hence why he feels such an allegiance with immigrants fighting to stay here. Yeah, I can really see that, Um you know, his Iranian heritage and his background, you know, where he felt very different from not having much money. And actually, he's entered these worlds where he feels different, but he's also used his knowledge of of that to kind of sympathize and to advocate on behalf of people who feel alienated. Yeah, I think it's like, I don't know if it was a conscious thing, but I love the way that he's married those two things together. Yeah. Anyway, moving on, time for our podcast recommendation. Claire, what have we got this week? Well, I have to say, Susie, I'm still getting over listening to Joan and Jerrica. I completely binge listened that. Oh, my God. That is like the thinking women's comedy porn. Um, I go from jaw dropping shocked to like laughing out loud. Um, Yeah, it's it's like no other. It's like (laughs) no other podcast. It is. It's I think it's genius. I think it's absolutely genius. But anyway, what are we listening to this week? Okay, I'm not going to go about that. Um, I'm going for an oldie but a goodie this week. Death, Sex and Money. Brilliant podcast. First podcast I listened to. Um, And they're doing this summer special series called Hot Dates where they're following a whole group of different people across America over the summer as they date. Um, and, you know, we love dating. Oh, we do. So um, that's my recommendation this week. Brilliant. Okay, which seamlessly brings me on to the last point that I wanted to make about Ali's story. This was really interesting, actually, because he talks about, um, you know, learning from uh, a girlfriend when he was in his teens. And, you know, I think it's amazing what girlfriends and boyfriends can teach you and you kind of become absorbed into somebody else's culture or their kind of family norms it can be really informative so Claire have you ever learned anything from from past partners Ooh, yeah um where should I begin um no um well I had a boyfriend in Zambia um who taught me a lot about the different birds of Zambia and animal spore oh and yeah. do you have much call for that? Use it every day. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> That's very, very important fundamental knowledge. to my life. Um, but presumably birds and animal sports specific to Zambia. They so, were, yeah. Yeah, so very useful so in North Norfolk. If I ever go back, yeah, well, I'll be able to use those. Absolutely. Um, and my brother learnt Chinese and um, he always said the best way 
um, to learn a language was to have a girlfriend um, who spoke the language. And um, he said, So that was the basis upon which he was choosing girlfriends. Exactly. Yeah, it didn't matter. Nice. (laughs) What they look like. Um, (laughs) So it sounds like I speak the language, yeah. His language skills did, did improve vastly. Okay, good. So what about you, Susie? Have you um, have you learnt much? Yeah, I don't know that I've learnt much, but I did have a weird experience with the family of my first boyfriend um, where I turned up and they had a portrait of Maggie Thatcher Ooh. in their library, which was a bit like, you know, dun, dun, dun. My God, they had a library. And they they had, had a library and a portrait, and a portrait of portrait. Thatcher. Yeah, and their first question to me, well, one of their first questions was how my parents voted. Oh, um, which, Well, I said they, they voted conservative, which they did, Mum my dad hope you don't mind me disclosing that they never listen anyway um and uh at the time the only thing that shocked me was that they thought my parents would vote any other way oh. it didn't shock me that they'd asked me the question whereas I think now I'd you know I'd lynch them so um do you think yeah. they've got like a portrait of Theresa May up on their um on their wall now? yeah well or, or like me maybe they have a dartboard of David Cameron yeah, that would be a bit more fitting, wouldn't Definitely. it? As we hurtle towards Brexit. So, um, so please subscribe so the programs automatically drop in, ready for you to listen next week, and it shows support for us as well. It's entirely free. All we ask in return is that you recommend us, grab someone's phone and add us, rate us on Apple Podcasts, and tell your mates about us. We are the Backstory Podcast on Facebook and Instagram at the Backstory Pod on Twitter and if anyone is searching for the Backstory on Apple Podcasts or another directory just look for the Backstory Podcast with Claire and Susie. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.